Amen. So 2 Peter, what we're looking at in chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 5, the Word of God says, it says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now these things that the Apostle Peter lists right here are things that can be added to your faith. In other words, these are things that we can grow in as believers. Like for, just for example, virtue here. Adding virtue to your faith, that is goodness. It's the strength and the vitality of somebody's walk with the Lord. And, and so there are these things that we can add into our faith, but there's a key component in the next two verses that kind of make these things make sense because one one thing that you want to kind of guard against is getting into a place where you think you have to work your way into God's graces and grow in these things. It's actually kind of the opposite. As you grow in the Lord, these things will begin to flourish in our lives. The, the deeper we go with the Lord, the more obedient we are to the Spirit of God, uh, the more we walk in the power of the Spirit, the more we will begin to see these things kind of come to the surface that come from God. This is actually uh, what it means to walk in the Spirit. It is, you know, as we are obeying the Lord and as we are, you know, seeking to please the Lord in all that we do, kind of guarding our steps and making sure that our steps are diligently sure, diligently to obey the, the Lord, you'll begin to see these things manifest in the life of a believer. And so these things are, are very similar, uh, but virtue is, is, is very important in knowledge and, and then temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and then last but not least, charity. And we say last but not least, uh, not to be cute, but because, you know, charity is the greatest, you know, love is the greatest of, of all the gifts that God gives us. And charity is that love that comes from God towards someone who is downtrodden. Um, if you think about a charity or a charitable organization, um, it, a charitable organization is set up so that we can share or dispense God's love and God's goodness toward others. And that charity or that, that charitable organization is just simply being a vessel that God can use to help others. This is one of the ways that God's kingdom is established here in the earth and then begins to move out into society. You see, God doesn't want us to just build buildings. He, he actually desires our churches to kind of get into this place where we go outside the walls of the churches into our communities, bringing the charity of God or bringing the love of God. So this is, it, it's kind of important because right now our nation is in a place where it needs the love of God like never before. However, it is looking for answers from the wrong places. It may be looking for answers from political organizations or even anarchist or Marxist or things like this. 
Uh, but the answer that we need comes from God. And, and so as the church begins to move in the love and charity of God, we will begin to uh, we will begin to mobilize into our communities in helping those that are downtrodden, those that are kind of wandered off a little bit. And, you know, we sang a song uh, today. It said, um, he didn't leave me the way that he found me. And, and, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes we forget about those times in our life when we were so away from God, when we were so away from God, we, we didn't even think about God. We didn't want anything to do with God. And then somehow, you know, the Lord found us in that place. Just like he says, you know, he will leave the 99 and he'll come after the one. And we forget about that. When we're one of the 99, you know, we, we want the Lord to hurry up. But the Lord's out there looking for the one. And when we were the one, we loved his charity. We were so thankful that somebody somewhere told us about Jesus. And it was charity. It was that love of God in them. And, and, and bringing it to us, it was charity at work in that person's life or that organization's life to bring the gospel to a broken person. And, I, you know, I'll just pick on myself. I know I was completely broken whenever uh, I got saved. I was a completely broken individual. But God is, is dispensing that same charity even today. And do you know that God desires to use you and to use me to get outside of our comfort zones so that that charity can be dispensed to others? It's not necessarily the 99 that need that charity. It is those that are outside the fold, those that are in a ditch somewhere, uh, those that are passed out in a street, those that, are, that society has relegated to off-limits. It's amazing, but those are the very ones that Christ ministered to. A lot of times his disciples would say, hold up, Lord, you know, don't do that. Or, or you know, they would guard people from coming to the Lord. But yet it was those very people, those very downtrodden, those that society had kicked off, those are the ones he went after. And sometimes we need that reminder that's a healthy reminder for Christians. We need that reminder that, you know what, maybe the Lord can use us to extend charity into somebody else's life that they can get back into that fold. And, you know, Jesus, whenever he's t telling that story about the 99 and the 1, he said that there's more, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one that repents, over one loss that, that is found and comes home. There's more rejoicing in heaven over that than over the 99 of, you know, that never, you know, go away. We, you, you know, you might kind of kid about them. We call them the frozen chosen or whatever. Uh, but there's, there's. Sometimes we forget how much heaven rejoices when we actually get engaged with the kingdom and the plan of God and we become charitable in our life. And, and, and I don't mean I don't mean philanthropy. I don't mean, you know, twenty dollars here and twenty dollars there. I mean, actually sharing love with somebody. Uh, pitying, taking pity on them, ministering to them, um, you know, just kind of getting down to where somebody else is and then helping them to see the Lord. 
Um, but these things, um, as you go through this list that Peter gives, these are vital for a functioning faith. A functioning faith is a faith that is active and at work at God's business that, you know, as the Lord said, that is an, a, a functioning faith has put its hands to God's plow and is not looking back, but is moving forward. So look, you might have started out where you didn't want to start out. You might be today where you don't want to be today. But as long as you're moving forward in the power and spirit of God, you'll end up where God wants you to be. Uh, God, it's not, it's not a, a, a hard thing for God to just bring you somewhere that he wants you to be. Um, if you've ever, you know, go look in the book of Acts, what happened to Philip? Philip goes down, uh, you know, on, on that road, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and that guy's reading Isaiah, and he's struggling, and he's, you know, he, he doesn't understand it. And Philip runs up to that chariot and, and begins to explain the gospel to him. Why? It wasn't because Philip was trying to be philanthropic. It wasn't because Philip was trying to start a ministry and, you know, get him a 501c3 so that he can, you know, begin to be the CEO of it and he can do this and then he can go to conferences. No, he saw somebody hurting that wanted the Lord. And when he saw that need, that charity rose up in him, and he wanted to help this guy. And he was a disciple, and so he was able to explain the Word of God to him, and the guy gets baptized, and you remember what happened? Immediately was transported. Philip was, they were just immediately in a different place. So it's, it, you know, when you become about the Lord's business, he'll get about yours. He'll get you to where he wants you to be. You might say, well, you know, how can God use me uh, because I'm not, you know, anybody? Well, you don't have to be anybody. You just have to be a vessel for him. And if you'll begin to allow God's uh, spirit to work through you, that love of God to begin to be poured out onto hurting souls, what you'll find is God will put you in places you never thought that would ever be a possibility for you. God may put you in, in a ministry or God may put you involved in a church group somewhere that you never thought something like that was possible, but that's what God specializes in. God specializes in taking fishermen and making them apostles. And like he said, you, you, you know, you were fishers, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And how do we become fishers of men? Well, we've got to go out into the waters. We've got to go out into where the fish are and begin to throw out the net. We've got to begin to uh, be about advancing the kingdom of God. And so you see, we're here in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're looking at these, these, these uh, dynamic uh, things. I call them additives to your faith. Uh, but it begins, the very first one is virtue. And you know, virtue is one of those things that, is not really present in a lot of people's lives, but virtue is the, um, it, it would be kind of like the, the, the sap of a tree. It's that the gooey stuff that kind of binds everything together. It's the power of the goodness of your walk with God. Uh, this is how somebody just kind of gets out of, uh, you know, the, 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 
the ditch and they begin to walk in the power of God, not because it's their own strength, but because it's the Holy Spirit working through them. And you're just saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And listen, if you'll just begin to say, yes, yes, Lord, the Lord will begin to put your feet in motion and he'll put a new song in your heart. But we've got to be willing to say, yes, yes, Lord. So anyways, Coming down into these passages, we're, we're reading 5, 6, and, and 7, but there's an important part, like I said, I want to get to, which is verses 8 and 9. So first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 is kind of where we were in the previous message. So it says, for if these things be in you, this is all these things that we just talked about, if these things be in you and abound, and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the things that sometimes some people think is, as I add these things in, I will know more. But it's actually the reverse. As you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you will begin to grow in virtue and temperance and long-suffering and you know, loving kindness and charity. The more you know the Lord, the more the Spirit will be at work in you cultivating. It, it, the genesis of that thing is the cultivating of the relationship that takes place through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and then it cycles back. See, because as you grow in the Lord, as you begin to put your hand to works, as you begin to do things for the Lord, and the Lord begins to build you up and use you, what you'll find is you'll begin to see things from a, a heavenly perspective sometimes. In other words, in, in, instead of just seeing somebody uh, that maybe broke down that needs $20, you might begin to see that from a different perspective. You might begin to see, uh, you know, that from, hey, this, this could be one of my children one day, and how would I want somebody to treat my child? And then you begin to just kind of unfold these things, um, these deeper revelations about how God uses charity in our lives to minister to others. So again, it's, it's these things, if these things are in you, you will not be barren nor unfruitful. The fruit that the Lord's looking for is that fruit of the Spirit. It's an abounding life in the Lord. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus was talking about false teachers, and, and, and the thing about false teachers is they're false, right? Uh, but they don't walk around saying that they're false. That, that would make it too easy. The, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So Jesus is telling the people on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, false teachers are going to come, but listen, you're going to know them by their fruit. So, but the fruit that the Lord talked about, it's amazing because these people were coming to the Lord and they said, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do great works in your name? You know, didn't we do this for the poor? Didn't we do all these things, all these works? And there's a remarkable thing that the Lord said. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It's an important concept I want you to get. So let's go over there real quick. Keep your finger there in, in 2 Peter. And let's go over to Matthew 7. I want you to see this. It's an um, amazing thing. Matthew chapter 7, 
In verse number 20, Jesus said, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, the will of God, you can trace this back to John chapter 6. The will of God is that you believe. The work that God gives us is that we believe, that we believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he is who scripture testifies that he is, that he is God manifest in the flesh, the, the son of God, the fullness of God uh, in, uh, in flesh, in bodily form. Now, that is who Jesus is. And, and then what he did, which is, you know, paying for our sins on the cross, dying, and on the third day, rising from the dead, ascending up to uh, the throne of God on high, and we wait for his return. And in the in-between, he's interceding for us. But he's saying here that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord's going to go to heaven. Not everybody. Not everybody. How we in the church, we've, we kind of miss that because we think if somebody says the right words, then they're one of us. But the Lord said, not everybody that says those words will be in heaven. Many, look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Iniquity here is coming short of the desire that God has for you. The iniquity here is that you never entered into relationship. You never entered into this place of intimacy with God. And see, when we're talking about knowing the Lord, we're knowing him how he uh, revealed himself to us. And the way that God reveals himself to us is through Calvary. It's through the cross. God revealed so much to us through the cross. He revealed how holy he is. He revealed how sinful we are. He revealed how loving he is. And, and he revealed how mighty he is. And he revealed that there, there was nothing that he would not do to provide a a possibility that you would be redeemed he went to that cross and he said if, if he goes to that cross he would draw all men unto himself and so up there on that cross he draws all men to him and those that would believe that gospel would be saved that's what the apostle paul told the philippian jailer uh, what must i do to be saved paul he said believe on the lord jesus christ so here we see that this what what changed the dynamic of these people's work is that they were not doing it out of relationship with the Lord. They were not doing it out of connection with the Lord. So why were they doing it? Why were they doing it? Well, sometimes we get into a, a place of barrenness. We get into a place where we're operating a little bit blindly. And, and, and the power of God's not at work there. And we kind of begin to go through the motions. And that's why Peter wrote this, this, this part that we're in right now. Peter wrote that because when we begin to see that, we need to reconnect with that knowledge of Jesus. You know, it, 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 
just pains me sometimes because some people, they will say, you know, why do y'all always talk about the cross? Why do y'all always talk about the blood? Uh, because that's what we're going to be talking about in heaven. You know, that's what we're going to be worshiping. We're going to be worshiping the lamb that was slain for all eternity. When we gather around the throne, we're not going to be wondering about principalities. We're not going to be wondering about, you know, did Adam have a belly button? We're not going to be wondering about what job we're going to be doing. We're going to be worshiping the most beautiful thing that our eyes will ever see, and that is the Lamb of God. We will be worshiping Him, and we will be singing how how marvelous and how wonderful is this God who came to our earth, who died on an old rugged cross, who bled and, and paid for our sin and on the third day conquered death, hell, and the grave and, and, and ascended on high. That's what we're going to be shouting about. But this knowledge, that's that intimacy that we're talking about. And as we grow in that intimacy, as we grow in our understanding of what Jesus did for us at Calvary, we'll begin to grow in our faith, the virtue. We'll begin to grow in the things like temperance and long-suffering and, you know, all these things and charity. But it comes out of knowing and understanding what Christ did for us and then having that intimate relationship, it is a living relationship. Jesus said, if you're my disciple, he said, the, the, the Father and he would come and make their abode in you. And you know that the Bible tells us in another place that, the, that our body is the temple of God now. There's no, there is no other temple right now other than a Christian. A Christian is the temple of the living God because the Holy Spirit dwells within. And so there's this um, dynamic in people's lives that sometimes we, uh, we push back away from that relationship. So let's kind of catch back over here in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to touch back into this. 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And everybody that I know as a Christian should want to be, you know, fruitful. They should want to be abounding in these things. But look at verse 9. It says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So look here, when, when we begin to lose sight of the most preeminent and most beautiful and foundation of our faith, which is Christ crucified, the Bible says that, that uh, our faith, right, our faith, it is, uh, it is founded on Christ. He's the rock of our faith, and it also says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So faith begins, it ends, and it rests on Christ and Christ alone, Christ crucified. And the more that we understand that, and the more that we relate to that, the more that we meditate on that, the more that we grow in that, the more that we'll begin to see these manifestations of this godly fruit in our lives. And that's God's desire. But the Lord is telling us here that if somebody is not manifesting these fruits in their life, it's because they've become blind. 
Blind to what? Blind to God. You know that the devil's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get you to stop looking at how beautiful Jesus is, if he can get you to stop meditating on how powerful the old gospel message is, if he can begin to get you drawn off of that, and he might even get you to be, get drawn onto something good, like he did Judas. You know, Judas got all about the books, you know. Why is this woman breaking this alabaster box? You know how much we could have done with that money? You know, sometimes we can get about the business of things, or we can get about, you know, different deals. But it has to come back to that place where we fall back at his feet and we reconnect with that old rugged cross, that message of Christ crucified. The power of God in, in our lives is, is, is Christ in us, and that's only possible uh, through faith in what he did at Calvary for our lives. But I want you to see that when these things are not being productive, when we're not seeing these things produced in our life, it is because we've become blind, and the second thing that he says is that you can't see afar off. It, you know, there's, there is, um, there, there's a principle here that when you become preoccupied with something, you begin to get blinded to everything else around you. How many of you, can you relate to that? When, when you kind of get preoccupied with something, it's almost as if blinders get put on you and you can't see anything else other than that thing you're focused on. Well, the, the enemy of our soul is very good at getting you to focus on things. He may get you to focus on how bad you used to be. He may get you to focus on the fact that you prayed for five minutes instead of 50 minutes. He may get you to focus on the fact that, you know, maybe you should be somewhere else than rather than where you are right now in life. He may get, in all kinds of ways, he will distract you. And your job as a believer, my job as a believer, is to not allow the enemy to blind us so that we can no longer see afar off. And what is that? What does it mean to see afar off? It's the eyes of faith, okay? It's the eyes of faith. It's that you, you begin to look at the carnal reality. You begin to look at the temporal situation instead of seeing things through the lens of God's word. And I'm saying that for a reason. Uh, because faith, it has to be founded on what God has said. But if God has said it, you can see it from a mile away. And, and what I mean by that is, you remember the story of uh, Elisha and, and, and his servant, and they were surrounded by the enemy. They were surrounded by the enemy. And, and the servant said, what are we going to do? You know, we're surrounded. And, and, and the old prophet of God, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see that there are more with us than with them. And when he prayed that, the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and immediately he saw surrounding the enemy, he saw afar off, he saw all these angels encamped around them. And, and that's, how, that's what it means to see by faith. It is not being bound and dictated by the reality of the temporal situation, but looking past that, through the lens of Scripture and believing what God has said is more true than the things that our natural eye sees. So what 
he's talking about here when he says that you've become blind and you can't see far off. Listen, he's not talking about your natural eye. What he's saying is, is that you no longer see what God wants you to see. You've kind of come to that place where you just are ho-hum about the way things are, and they're never going to change, and they're never going to be like this. And if, you know, it's always going to be like that. And we begin to get to that place where we relegate ourselves to seeing through the lens of the world rather than the lens of the Holy Spirit. And that is such a sad place for believers to be. And I want you to see this is how you get out of that. I want you to see God's desire is to break that off so that you begin to open your eyes by faith so that you'll begin to see God's goodness again. Look, God is good in, in, on, the, on the greatest of days and on the worst of days. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to see it, but if we'll ask the Lord, he'll begin to reveal his goodness to us. God is there with us. You know that he is omnipresent. One of the theological terms and the attributes of God is that he's omnipresent. So many people forget the fact that God is with you. God is in you. God is dwelling in you. Wherever you are, God is with you. You are not alone. God is a constant companion, a counselor, a friend in our time of need. And even though we may find ourselves in a dungeon or a prison, it does does not restrict us from not being with God. It, it is possible to have the Holy Ghost be with us in dungeons, in prisons, and in palaces. It, the Holy Spirit is not restricted by our situation, but our faith can restrict us from receiving of His goodness. Our faith, the lack thereof, not seeing afar off, Looking through natural eyes instead of spiritual eyes. Those things can restrict the power of God. That relationship that's at work in our lives. It says that uh, this person is blind. They can't see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And So you might be like, Pastor Kenny, you know, I don't care about any of that. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't have anything to be joyous about. Well, you know what? You have forgotten, if you're a Christian, right? You have forgotten the greatest of, of testimonies, and that is that your sins have been purged. You are not who you used to be in Jesus' name. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old's passed away. The new has come, and we need to begin to walk in the newness of life as the Word of God commands us to. God has given you a new life. God has given you a new song. He's given you a new future. He's given you a heavenly inheritance, and he's given you himself to be with you, to walk with you, and talk with you through this life. It is that inability to see by faith that kind of restricts us. And what it does, it, it, you might relate to this. I know times in my life, you know, I can relate to this. But what it will also do is, you know, when you become barren or blind for too long and you no longer see those things, you no longer, you no longer think along those lines, 
you will inevitably inevitably become bitter in your attitude towards other Christians and towards God. But the believer that can constantly see the testimony of his life, that God paid for my sin debt on the cross, and, and God purged me from my past, God's given me a new future, and that's something that we can sing hallelujah about, even when you know our life gets turned upside down. The fact that God will purge your sins off of you and give you a new life, he will save you, you will be born again, by his spirit that is something that we can all shout about so it's this kind of a testimony thing it's like it says in psalm 107 let the redeemed of the lord say so and sometimes we it, you know when you see that these fruit or these things aren't manifesting in our lives anymore it's because we've kind of stopped telling our testimony we've stopped savoring our testimony we've stopped enjoying the powerful witness of what god has done in our life and celebrating that and being thankful that's how we cultivate this walk with god and uh, albert barnes commentary on this passage is that's how he kind of started it off he said this is just simply uh, cultivating your walk with god that's what it is it is being diligent that you know, when weeds begin to grow in, you kind of cut them back. That's how you cultivate. You kind of keep the soil tilled up. If it starts getting hard, you start getting out and, and tilling it up. And sometimes we need to do things like that. Well, let me close um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll take you to one other scripture, and we'll close over here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a, a powerful witness, and, and, and I believe this really ties this together. It, it kind of opens it up a little bit. Um, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to move down to verse 16. Paul says uh, here, he said, uh, For which cause we faint not, all right? We faint not. Sometimes you've got to say that by faith, right? We faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So there's this dichotomy, this spiritual dichotomy that Paul's alluding to, and that is there's a difference between your natural man and the spirit man. Our natural man every day is falling apart, needs a Band-Aid, needs to be propped up, needs to be tied up, needs to be hosed down. Our natural man is constantly falling apart, but the spiritual man is renewed day by day. And the, the awesome thing about our walk with the Lord is that the spirit Spirit is greater than the flesh. If you begin to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we see here that this inward man being renewed day by day is what we all need. This is what we need. This is how we will begin to see afar off again. We will begin to open our eyes and look in awe and wonder, knowing and understanding that with God all things are possible. It may look like it is the end. It may look like the bottom is falling out. It may look like there is no hope. But with God, with God, all things are possible. And so the inward man being renewed day by day is necessary that we can begin to see afar off again and not be blind again. And so kind of in that vein, look how he, he finishes this chapter here. For our light affliction, that he's talking about his flesh. Some of us, 
your flesh is your major affliction, right? But for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the things that we experience right now are only for a minute. They are just for a moment is what Paul said. They are for a moment. We go through hard times. You might get rejected. You might get imprisoned. Your life may be turned upside down. You know, we're entering into a place right now that we're praying for God's mercy on our nation. But if the Lord withholds that mercy, we're going to see Christians persecuted in America. And, and so, you know, we're going to see that and, and understand you get into spots like that or maybe you get into a place where you, you know, you, you lose a family member or you go through a hard trial. Know this, it's for a moment. But the thing that God's working in you has an eternal weighted portion of glory. In other words, God is working something in you. And when this life is over, then the, the awesome, the eternal life is what we step into. Look at verse 18. This is our last one. He said, uh, he says, while we look, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So you, you see how we're, we're kind of tying that with Peter to this, where, where Peter said, you know, the person who's not abounding in these fruits, they, uh, they have become blind. They can't see afar, and they've forgotten that, that God purged them from their sins. But we're called we're called to not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. And if there's one thing that we can probably all agree on, it's that the enemy, the devil, uh, he wants you to get focused on the things that you can see and forget about the things that you can't see. But always remember that our war is not flesh. The weapons of our warfare is not flesh, and, and, and it's not carnal, it's not flesh and blood. It is powerful through God to pull down strongholds and principalities. It is a spiritual dynamic. Our battle is spiritual. It is beyond the things that the natural eye sees. It is in the spiritual realm that the Christian's life exists. Our, the spiritual realm is, is where we are supposed to be at work. Um, and he says here, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So when we see afar off, we're talking about beginning to see by faith again. And I want you to know that's what God wants to do in you and in me and in the church right now. God wants us to begin to set our eyes on eternal things, on things that are weighted for glory. God wants us to begin to see people through his lens. He wants us to begin to look with eyes of compassion that charity will begin to manifest in our lives, that we will be able to take the gospel that you have, the gospel that you have, and share that gospel with the downtrodden in, in, in your sphere, that we'll be able to take that charity and put it into action, not just hold it and shine it up on Sunday and, and, and make people think that we're something that we're not. It's that we will actually get out and that God will begin to use us 
to minister to people, that's when we're beginning to see afar off. We're beginning to see not with natural, but with the spiritual eyes. And that's God's desire. I believe for the church to to kind of get into the place that God wants us to be in this upcoming season, we're going to have to get past natural dichotomies. We're going to have to get past you know, Republican and Democrat, we're going to have to get past, um, you know, these, the, the racial divides and the, the, all these kinds of divides that society places on us. And we're going to have to get to a place where we see afar off, where we begin to see uh, through the lens of God and we begin to see souls because Christ came to save souls. He is the, the, the friend of sinners. He laid down his life for sinners that souls might be saved. And all they, they must do is believe that old gospel. And if you'll begin to function in that, I know that those fruit will begin to manifest in your life. And we could all use a little bit more fruit. We, we, you know, and and I'm, I'm saying that a little bit in jest, but we could all use a little bit more fruit in our lives. We could all be a little bit more godly. We could all be a little bit more patient. We could all be a little bit more, you know, brotherly kind. We could all be a little bit more charitable. And, and, and that's, that's what our world needs. The world needs that holy witness. And as you do that, you'll begin to reap uh, that fruit as a byproduct of it. And, and I want you to know, as we come to a close on this message, that if we can help you in your walk with God, that's why we're here. We are Gospel Lighthouse Church in South Bossier City, and if you need help in your walk with God or you need prayer, uh, we're here for you. We want to help you grow 